Due to technical difficulties, the first few minutes of the sermon are missing. Make everything about himself. If the problem we hope to solve in our lives is our insecurities, is our deep wounds that came from our childhood or that's come from the way we've been treated in this world, we will never solve it looking within ourselves. We have to find our security elsewhere. We need a rock, we need a strong tower, a mighty fortress that's big enough to protect us, to give us um, safety from the attacks of our, and where better to find that security than in the Lord himself? We will always have insecurities apart from the Lord. But when the Lord is with us, that's the answer. The answer to who am I is I am with you. So God's answer to Moses' insecurity isn't to build up Moses' self-esteem. God's answer to Moses' insecurity isn't to coddle him by helping him see something within him. There's place for that. There's a deep need for that in our lives. But that's not what's going on through here. God's answer is to assure him that the almighty God is with him. So just to summarize, Moses' first objection, I'm not good enough. And God's response is, I'm the answer. I am with you. I'm your risk insurance. Any further questions? And Moses says, so glad you asked. And in verse 13, he comes at it again. If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what's his name? What am I supposed to say to them? In other words, I've already tried delivering them once, and it didn't go well at all. The last time I went to deliver them, they said, who made you a ruler? Who gave you authority? So if I'm going to go back to them, I'm sure they're going to ask me again, who? Who's sending you? Where do you get this idea, this authority from? Who do I tell them is sending me? And then from verses 14 to verses 16, God answers Moses, and his answer comes in three stages. First in verse 14, God said to Moses, I am who I am. Now, interesting, that's not the answer to the question. You know, the first question, um, who am I? God didn't answer that, right? He said, I, talk about himself is with you. This time he says, who are, what is your name? And God says, I am who I am. You, your Bible probably has a little footnote right there where it says can also be translated, I will be what I will be. I, I think that's a better translation for some idea, reasons I'm going to share with you now. God is telling Moses, I will be whoever I choose to be. I'm free to be who I choose to be. In other words, God is trying to help Moses understand. Remember, Moses grew up in a world with a lot of gods. And God's trying to say to Moses, you, there is something about me that's not like any other god. I am in a class all by myself. And this is the essence of it. I, out of all, all the things in this world, I'm totally free. Nothing determines me. Now, interesting. Remember, Moses is hearing this from where? A voice in a burning bush that's not being burned up. The fire is blazing away, but it's not consuming the bush. Now, that's weird, right? Moses has been walking around. I grew up on the Gulf Coast where we had these pipes at these industrial plants that would burn right? And they would just burn forever. He had never seen that. He had never seen a thing burn and not stop burning. 
So when he sees something burning and not stopping, he didn't, he wasn't like, oh yeah, that's a Gulf Coast chemical plant. Like there's a pipe feeding that thing or like Bob Dylan's fireplace that has a pipe under it that helps the fire keep going. Even if the wood burns out, he had never been to Bob Dylan's porch. Unfortunately, he would have enjoyed it. He knows that fire needs fuel and any other fire can only continue to burn if there's something to consume. But here is this voice coming out of fire that is self-sustaining. This fire doesn't require anything. God is saying, that's me, Moses. I'm not, I, I am not contingent, nothing, nothing. I don't need anything. I, out of all the gods, am totally free. And the reason this is important is because Moses and Israel are enslaved in Egypt where there are thousands of gods and they live in a world in which knowing the name of a god gives you the power to invoke him and he's constrained by that name. He's bound by it. And the secret is to find a name of a god that's powerful. And God's first answer to Moses is, wait a minute, we're operating in two different languages here. I'm going to give you my name, but you need to know nothing constrains me. I am utterly free. Now here's where it gets interesting. Because back in verse 12, God told Moses, in my freedom, I choose to be with you. So if God is constrained by nothing, but he's promised to be with Moses, that's grace. That's all of grace. That's love. That's remarkable. God is free to be whomever he chooses to be. And in his freedom, he has committed himself to Moses. And so in the second stage of his answer, verse 14, he says, say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. So the one true God, the God who is totally free of all constraints, this God has chosen to constrain himself to be committed to Israel, to be Israel's savior, the one who is sending Moses to deliver his people. And God declares himself to be who he chooses to be. And in his grace and his love, he has chosen to be committed to Israel. And in his grace and in the freedom of his love, God has committed himself to Moses, to Israel. And then in the third stage of his answer, verse 15, God said to Moses, say to this people of Israel, and here he gives his name, the Lord, your Bible has it written in weird little font, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. And thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. So here's my name, the Lord. It translate. We think the word there is Yahweh. And you, he says, you can call me my name, but I'm not like those gods you grew up with. Calling me by name doesn't control me. Calling me by name is the way you can know me. It, so when God gives his name, it's not giving his control. It's giving access. He's saying, I am available to you and you can know me. And then in verses 16 to 17, God tells Moses, now go. Go and tell the leaders of Israel that the God of Israel, I have chosen to be committed to you and I'm going to deliver you from slavery to myself. And then in verses 18 to 22, God goes over the whole plan one more time, laying it out. He tells Moses, look, I'm going to send you. They are going to listen to you. Quit your whining. But Pharaoh's not going to listen to you. 
Pharaoh wants. So in verse 20, God explains how he's going to unleash his wrath against Egypt, against Pharaoh. And as a result, in verses 21 to 22, is one of the most beautiful things in all the Bible. Listen to this. Each Israelite woman will ask of her neighbor and any woman who lives in her house for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing. And get this last part. You shall put them on your sons and your daughters, your children. So, in this way, you will plunder the Egyptians. Now, this is a remarkable promise of love for women and children. It's interesting because just a little bit later in Exodus, Pharaoh agrees to let the Hebrews go, only letting the men go. He says, okay, you can take the men, you can go in the wilderness and worship God, but you have to leave the women and children behind. But for Moses, that idea of leaving behind the women and children is an abomination. No way. He will not leave the women and children. Why? Because God promised that the women and children will leave Egypt with Egypt's plunder. Just as Moses was delivered from death into a position of royalty, the Israelites will plunder the Egyptians and they'll strip off the slave rags that their children wear and they'll put on them these fine fabrics, this gold and this silver. And this is God's love for the Israelites. And it's proof of this threefold gospel message in Exodus. Not only will God rescue the children from death and slavery, he will restore their dignity. Remember, Pharaoh went after the children. This is non-negotiable for God. Wherever Pharaoh attacks, God is going to take care of it. God is going to one-up him. God is going to strip and in a judo move, humiliate Pharaoh. So here we find they're going to strip off the slave rags from their children and they're going to dress them in gold and silver and fine linens. This is God's love. Not only will he restore their dignity, by bringing them to worship him, as they come to worship him, their children are going to dress like kings and queens. So let's pull back for one second. Think about what's happened. God has delivered Moses from death to himself, and he's giving him this risky mission for the sake of the world. And the mission goes right to the bullseye of Moses' deepest wound. It nails him in his most vulnerable spot. It pushes the button of his deepest suffering. And so in verses 11 to 12, Moses says, not me, I'm not good enough. And God's response is, I, I'm going to be with you. In verses 13 to 22, Moses says, I've got another question. I'm afraid Israel will reject me again. And God once again says, Moses, I'm the answer. I will be with you. I am for you. I will deliver you. I am your risk insurance. Any further questions? And Moses says, yes. Chapter 4, verse 1. Moses answered, but behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, the Lord did not appear to you. You're making this stuff up. You're crazy, dude. And so in verses 2 through 9, God answers Moses by giving him three signs. We don't have to go in time to go into them. Each sign has something to do with one of the gods of Egypt, and each sign demonstrates God's presence with Moses and Israel and his power. Remember, there are a lot of gods. 
but this God's in a class all his own, his power over all the other gods and over sin and over suffering and over life and over death and over Satan. In short, when Moses says to God, they won't believe me, God says the same thing that he's been saying to every other objection. I'm going to be with you. I will be with you. I will empower you to show others that I am with you. I'm your risk insurance. Any further questions? And Moses once again says, verse 10, Oh, my Lord, I am not eloquent either in the past or since you've spoken to your servant. I'm slow of speech and tongue. To which the right answer is baloney. You've been blabbering away for more verses than anybody ever gets in all the Bible. If, if, if you think he's not eloquent and can't bring his words to speech, everything he's been doing just proves that wrong. This is a bunch of baloney. In fact, in Acts chapter 7, Stephen, talking about Moses, says he was mighty in word and deed. And once again, God does not respond by coddling Moses. He doesn't say, oh, Moses, that's not true. You're so good at speaking. I love your style. No, God doesn't say anything about Moses' abilities. Notice, he simply responds by trying to say to Moses, look at me, I'm with you. He says, who made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, therefore, and I will be with your mouth and teach. Every, every insecurity is answered by I am with you. Now think about how this, play, this is playing out. Four times Moses objects to this very risky mission that God is sending him on. And every rejection that Moses gives is rooted in his wound that has grown into shame and fear. And here is Moses, his fundamental approach to life. He looks back in shame. He looks forward in fear. And God's answer to each and every objection, Moses, I'm with you. To me, this is beautiful. You see, God is not only up to delivering us from these real physical enemies we face, but he also wants to do the deep inner work. God is trying to deliver Moses from this way of living, from this bondage that he's wrapped. And he's going to do it by showing him when he does this super risky thing that God with him is the answer. And then Moses says in verse 13, Oh, my Lord, please send somebody else. He just doesn't want to go. He doesn't care what God keeps saying. It's not getting through. He's putting his foot down. And really what we're dealing with in this whole long conversation is a battle of wills. God's will and Moses' will. And Moses refuses to budge. Verse 14. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. Look, the Bible teaches again and again, God is slow to anger. His natural disposition is gracious and patient and merciful. But even God has limits. And Moses crossed the line. And yet, almost unbelievably, 
God's response is gracious. He allows for Moses' brother Aaron to go, to become his lieutenant. And this seems like a great short-term solution. Moses decides God's not enough, but his brother would be enough. And if you've read the rest of Exodus, Moses got the raw end of that deal. And a lot of people die because of this. And Aaron dies because of this. And maybe that's part of God's anger. Is that Moses, you're not smart enough to fight me. You don't know the future enough to resist me. But I'll, I'll go with it. And I'll be with you later when it all falls apart. He allows Moses to take Aaron. Look, whenever God calls us to go out as his kingdom ambassadors, he gives us every assurance of his presence and favor, and we must stop giving him excuses tied to our inabilities because when it comes to God asking us to do stuff, our circumstances really aren't relevant in light of God's power. So look, I'll conclude with this. As we make our way through Exodus, there is so much we can learn from Moses. He's one of the great leaders of all time. But as we've seen this morning, he was far from being perfect. He dug his heels in and he preferred to wallow in self-pity rather than allowing God to heal him, rather than trusting God. But thanks be to God, when Jesus was born into our world and he faced the same kind of scenario, Lord, if there's any other way, he didn't dig his heels in. He didn't shrink back from God's calling. Jesus set his face to go to Jerusalem and to go to Mount Calvary, and he gave himself freely as a sacrifice once and for all to rescue us from the gods that we're enslaved to and from sin and death and to deliver us to himself for the sake of the world. He took Jesus took the greatest risk of all, enduring God's wrath for our sin in hopes that he might be resurrected into eternal life and fellowship with God. And God did, the Father raised the Son from death and he drew him back to himself and he set him at his right hand so that the world would, would become his footstool. And God knows that you're afraid. And in his mercy, he is going to move toward you at the place of your deepest insecurity and your deepest wound, and your shame. That's why he sent Jesus to be our deliverer. Jesus was afraid too, but he found perfect security with the Father. And in doing so, he became the savior of the world. If you want to make God angry, keep putting your foot down and say to him, no, I'm just not going to do it. But if you want to make God smile, then take the biggest risk of all. Give the reins of your life to the Lord Jesus Christ. Give him your loyalty. Be more loyal to him than you are to yourself. Give him your greatest love. Love him more than you love yourself. Make him the king. 
and see how this can like grow throughout your life and change everything. You might say, I'm nobody, but through Jesus, you can become a child of God. You might say, I'm afraid to go alone. I'm afraid to be uncool. I'm afraid to be a truly, deeply devoted Christian in this secular age where there's a much easier way to do it and to not be so weird. But Jesus says, I will always be with you, even to the end of the age. You might say, I'm weak and I'm powerless. But Jesus says, in your weakness, I will be strong. You might say, I'm slow to speech, and I don't know what to say to my friends to tell them about you. But Jesus says, wherever you go, before whomever you stand, I will give you the words. You might say, I'm afraid of what will happen to me if I take this risk with you. But Jesus says, fear not. I will raise you to everlasting life. Wherever you are, entrust your life to Jesus. It's a massive risk and it's totally worth taking it. Let's pray.